Before we begin, we need to add a little note. In our last episode, the Lost episode, we implied that the angry GM had ruined the Gen Con live show with his unplanned outbursts and interruptions. We also suggested he'd been punished for his infractions. The angry GM has since received several emails and private messages from fans reassuring him that his interruptions did not ruin the show, that they improved the show, in fact, and that he did not deserve to be punished. We want to reassure all of you that that line was a joke. The angry GM did not ruin the show. His interruptions were not unplanned. They were part of the script. He has not been punished. In fact, he was the one who wrote the line implying that he had ruined the show. As a joke. The angry GM appreciates the messages of support, though. It was very kind of you to reach out to him. But he's not in any trouble at all. He is also resisting the urge to create more trouble right now by implying that he is being held against his will and being forced to write this statement under duress. Because he really doesn't know when to stop joking. And... Fiddleback has the patience of a saint for working with him. All right, that's cleared up. On with the show. This is GM Word of the Week, and I'm Fiddleback. Ranger. Most gamers are familiar with the Ranger archetype, especially players of Dungeons and Dragons. These days, the Ranger is one of those standard classes, or professions, that you can choose for your D&D character. Rangers also appear in Blizzard Entertainment's fantasy real-time strategy game Warcraft. Specifically, they were elven units you could recruit in Warcraft 2, The Tides of Darkness. Of course, if you're more familiar with the massively multiplayer online version, World of Warcraft, Rangers are mentioned in passing, but the archetype has been rolled into the Hunter character class. And many other role-playing and adventure games include a similar character class either called the Hunter or the Ranger. What is interesting is how uniform the representations of the Ranger or the Ranger as Hunter is across various media, despite the fact that in Dungeons & Dragons, the Ranger seems to have this weird sort of identity crisis. And in fact, they seem to be a hodgepodge of assorted mechanics only loosely connected to an overriding theme. But that identity crisis isn't surprising. After all, the inspiration for the D&D Ranger had two different sorts of Rangers in it that were both called Rangers. And the inspiration for that, the thing we call actual real life, also has at least two commonly accepted definitions for the word Ranger. So let's see if we can disentangle this mess. To begin with, let's talk a bit about the Ranger archetype in D&D because as we mentioned, that archetype has pretty much supplied the inspiration for rangers and hunters in other fantasy works, including Warcraft. In D&D nowadays, rangers are skilled hunters and woodsmen. They tend to live alone and isolated, wandering the wildlands and fighting monsters. Thus, they are skilled combatants and also capable survivalists. Simple enough, right? Well, not really. Because the ranger archetype has picked up a lot of baggage throughout the years. First of all, rangers are skilled trackers. That makes sense. Second of all, rangers tend to be good archers. That makes sense too. We associate archery and hunting. Third of all, rangers have some sort of rapport with animals and often have an animal companion. 
a wild, natural animal like a bear or a wolf or a panther or something. Not quite a familiar, but more than a pet. Okay, that kind of fits. Hunting animals are a thing, and a skilled survivalist is probably pretty good with animals. Fourth of all, rangers can cast magical spells. The types of spells they can cast varies from edition to edition. Early on, rangers could cast spells like wizards. Nowadays, they cast spells like priests, particularly druidic nature priests. Okay, sure, why not? Fifth of all, rangers are famously known for their particular combat style of wielding a weapon in each hand, such as wielding a pair of swords or a sword and an axe and... What? Rangers have actually gained a lot of ire for this last point. Some fans think the only reason Rangers gained the ability to wield paired weapons was to allow players to emulate the most famous Ranger character of them all, Dritz Duerden. And, as you'll remember from our episode on the Drow, that character, and the many, many copycats thereof, have been very divisive subjects in the D&D fanbase. But, David Zeb Cook, the lead designer on D&D 2nd Edition, has insisted that there's no truth to that. And given that's the edition in which Rangers gained that ability, he probably knows what he's talking about. On a personal note, this whole dual-wielding Ranger thing is a sore point for us here at the Word of the Week. See, when we decided to explore the history of the Ranger for this episode, one of the things we definitively wanted to answer once and for all was where the archetype of the dual-wielding Ranger came from. And all we could turn up was one brief non-answer from David Cook himself. He said, I'm not sure how the Ranger took shape, though I know it wasn't an imposition because of Dritz. Frankly, I've never read more than bits of the Dritz series. It was to make them distinct, and it fit with the style and image. But we digress. The point is that over the years, the D&D Ranger has evolved and the archetype has had a lot piled onto it. And this has led to a bit of a tradition among D&D's designers to argue about what bits and pieces of the Ranger archetype need to find their way into D&D. Based on various statements and interviews, they usually begin the process by trying to pare the Ranger down to some sort of core identity. But in the end, they usually end up just piling everything back onto the Ranger and adding something else. So, the modern Ranger that appears in the D&D 5th Edition Player's Handbook has very little resemblance to the original Wilderness Hunter and Tracker that first appeared as a supplement to the original 1974 version of Dungeons & Dragons in the pages of the Strategic Review magazine. But where did the original Ranger come from? The one that inspired that first ranger before the magic spells and two-weapon combat and animal friendship stuff got added on? Well, the original ranger came part and parcel with the basic fantasy universe that forms the core of the genre. It came from J.R.R. Tolkien. And at this point, we're going to forego discussing the history and publication of the Lord of the Rings series. Just pick one of our episodes at random, and there's even odds you'll hear about it. In the first book in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, we are introduced to a character known as Aragorn. Specifically, Aragorn II, son of Arathorn II, last of the Dúnedain, descendant of Isildur, the last High King of Arnor and Gondor, wielder of the sword Anduril, 
the reforged Narsil, also known as Longshanks, also known as Strider, also known as the Chief of the Rangers of the North, also known as Viggo Mortensen in some circles. When Aragorn enters the story of the Lord of the Rings, he is introduced as Strider the Ranger. He's a skilled warrior and a survivalist. He acts as Frodo Baggins' guide and bodyguard through the wilderness of Middle-earth. He knows hunting, tracking, herbcraft, and guerrilla tactics. He is intimately familiar with the various monsters that dwell in Middle-earth, especially the monstrous orcs. And he is an extremely talented swordsman. He spends his time wandering on the fringes of civilization, opposing the enemies of the free peoples of Middle-earth. In that respect, he's a sort of guardian. So it's very easy to see where the germs of the Dungeons and Dragons rangers came from. Skilled hunter, tracker, survivalist, and guerrilla warrior. Archery, ambidexterity, magic, and animal friendship? That would all come later. The history of the rangers of Middle-earth is actually very interesting. Truth be told, the history of just about everything in Middle-earth is pretty interesting. And that's because Tolkien was one heck of a world builder. He published an entire book that was nothing but the mythology and history of Middle-earth. It was called The Silmarillion, and we've discussed it before. But it's worth taking a brief digression and talking about who the rangers really were. The rangers in Middle-earth were actually a very secretive order who protected the northern lands that included the town of Bree and the Shire, among many other lands. Because of their secretive nature and isolation, they were viewed with distrust and some people even considered them dangerous. And that wasn't helped at all by their uniformly grim appearance and insistence on dressing in greys and greens to keep them hidden in the wild. They were also descendants of the rulers of the ancient kingdom of Arnor, which had once ruled over the lands they wandered. And the Dunedain, the people of Arnor, were themselves descendants of a people banished from paradise because they resented the gift of mortality that had been bestowed upon them. That's right. It was a gift. See, humanity was one of the two races who had been created by the great god of absolutely everything named Iluvatar. And Iluvatar actually favored humanity over the elves. Humans were his favorite things. So while he made the elves immortal and ageless, he granted men the gift of mortality. That is to say, humans would age and die, and when they died, their spirits would depart the world and go... somewhere. By the way, if an elf managed to die, say due to accidentally being impaled by an orc, the elf's spirit would travel to a place called the Halls of Mandos, and they would be re-embodied. Thus, elves would last for as long as the elves would. Some humans, however, came to resent this gift of basically having their bodies start rotting around them from the moment they are born until they finally vanish from the world forever, never to be seen again. And they rebelled against the angelic host, the Valar, that ruled the world. It didn't help that the Valar had an awesome land that was an absolute paradise and that the humans were banned from going near it. Sure, the Valar gave humans a nice land of their own near paradise called Numenor, but that was hardly a good consolation prize. And thus, humanity rebelled and became corrupted, and the land of Numenor was sunken into the ocean to teach the humans a lesson about gratitude. And the survivors sailed to the west, and founded the kingdoms of Arnor and Gondor. 
While Gondor survived, Arnor was racked by civil war and ultimately destroyed, leaving only scattered settlements in the north. And the surviving descendants of the kings of Arnor, those were the rangers. But here's where things get interesting. Those rangers, the rangers of the north, weren't the only rangers in Middle-earth. There was another group of rangers, the rangers of Athelion. While they were dressed in green and brown and used guerrilla tactics, they weren't survivalists at all. They were actually a special unit of the army of Gondor, tasked with harassing Gondor's enemies, including the various forces of the Dark Lord Sauron, as well as the barbarians of the Eastern Lands. And they appeared in the second book of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, when Samwise Gamgee and Frodo Baggins are captured by them and brought before their leader, Faramir. Now, why is this interesting? Well, because in real life, when we hear about an organization named the Rangers, we think about two groups, assuming we don't think about sports teams. First, we think of forest rangers. And second, we think of army rangers. And the fact that these two types of ranger organizations dovetail nicely with Tolkien's Rangers of the North and the Rangers of the Athelion? That's no accident. Because both groups are older than you might think. First, let's talk about forest rangers. In the United States, we think of forest rangers as the guardians of national parks and preserves. We might also call them park rangers, and they serve similar roles as Canadian and British park wardens. The story of park rangers in the United States begins in the halls of Congress with the passage of the Yellowstone Act of 1872. This act established the first ever federally protected national park in the United States, Yellowstone Park, which was also among the first national parks and preserves in the entire world. In the following years, the federal government would create additional national parks from federal lands in the western United States and many other nations would also begin establishing their own government-protected parks, preserves, and monuments. Today, more than 100 nations contain a total of 1,200 national parks, preserves, or their equivalents. But we digress. Unfortunately, while the U.S. Congress established these parks, they didn't give any real thought to managing them. They basically just set aside the land and said, there, those are parks. Pretty cool, huh? Everyone enjoy. No real thought was given to how to maintain the parks, to protect the lands, to protect the visitors, and to manage their use. Not wanting to think too hard about it, they simply gave the military authority over the parks. But the soldiers tasked to serve in the national parks had no particular expertise in protecting park resources, or providing education and visitor services, and manning the parks with military soldiers proved to be very expensive. In 1898, Congress began seeking an alternate solution. Three parks in California were given funding and special leave to hire a so-called forest supervisor and a small force known as Special Forest Agents, also known as Forest Rangers, to protect and manage the reserves. For a time, the military and the forest agents shared the duties of protecting and overseeing the national parks. By 1905, it became clear that civilian, rather than military management, was the way to go. And so management of the national parks was transferred to management by the Department of Agriculture 
and the name was changed from Forest Rangers to Park Rangers. Then, in 1916, President Woodrow Wilson formed the National Park Service, a government department specifically tasked with governing America's national parks. And the park's protectors were officially renamed to National Park Service Rangers. And since that time, our national parks have been protected by those rangers. The duties of the park ranger have grown over time, and today they handle a long list of things. Obviously, they administer the parks and provide visitor services, but they also provide visitor education, maintain park infrastructure, oversee conservation efforts, monitor the parks and gather scientific data, provide fire and emergency response services, and also have police powers. They enforce the laws of the land, including the laws against poaching. And it's that last part that ties them to a much older group. See, rangers have been protecting the government's lands for a lot longer than you might think. The word ranger is actually a Middle English word which comes from a French word, which comes from a Germanic word whose meaning isn't entirely clear. The word is obviously connected to ranging, which in the 1600s meant policing an area, but it might actually be connected to an even older word that means a line of hunters or soldiers. In the medieval period, a ranger, also called a warden, was appointed by a king specifically to patrol the king's land and protect it from poachers and trespassers. See, once upon a time, the king owned all of the land, and it was illegal for anyone to hunt without permission. Now that wasn't a big deal through most of the Middle Ages. Hunting was extremely difficult and time-consuming, and peasants lacked the skills, time, and weapons to hunt. Hunting was something for the aristocracy. But during the late Middle Ages, food became harder to come by, and poverty became a widespread problem. Peasants and outlaws turned to poaching to feed themselves and their families, often using snares and traps to make up for their lack of hunting skill and equipment. Thus, poaching became an offense punishable by law, and people were needed to enforce the law. Wardens, rangers, and other officials were appointed to capture poachers and protect the king's forests from trespass. And honestly, we could stop there, right? That's the whole story of the D&D ranger in a nutshell. It starts simple with Aragorn, the descendant of a king, a hardy survivalist, and policeman of the wilderness, and then stuff gets piled on over the years. Just like you have rangers, servants of the kings and policemen of the wilderness who inspire park rangers whose duties become infinitely more varied and more complex as time goes on. But if we wanted to stop there, we wouldn't have mentioned the other rangers. Because they have a different origin, a more military origin. As we mentioned, the other modern type of ranger is the army ranger. In the United States, the name Army Ranger can refer to one of two types of soldiers. First, there are the soldiers of the 75th Ranger Regiment. Second, there are soldiers who have trained and been qualified by the Ranger Training Brigade at Fort Benning. And while there are important differences, we do have a word count and a time constraint to think about. So we're going to have to gloss over that bit a little. The point is, that Army Rangers are elite soldiers in the U.S. military who specialize in fast deployment, quick response, and small unit and guerrilla tactics. And they have seen action in almost every major armed conflict in American history, beginning with the American Revolutionary War. 
they saw action before America was even a thing. The first military rangers served in Britain's American colonies as early as 1622. Tensions had been rising between English colonists and the Native Americans in the colony of Virginia for over a decade, though trade was ongoing. In March of that year, members of the Powhatan tribe arrived in several settlements in the English colonies of Virginia, ostensibly to trade. However, the Powhatans suddenly took up arms and killed as many settlers as they could, including women and children, and burned houses and farms. This became known as the Indian Massacre of 1622. As a result, Captain John Smith led a force to seek revenge. And he and his force, in his own words, ranged the countryside for 14 weeks fighting the Powhatan. But that was just a nickname. The first true ranger force was commissioned in Plymouth and served under the command of Colonel Benjamin Church. Church's ranger force consisted of a mix of English colonists and friendly Native Americans with a mixture of combat and frontier survival skills. And they would range, or patrol, the colonial settlements and the lands around them, protecting them from hostile Native Americans. They were known as Church's Rangers. Later in 1751, Major Robert Rogers formed nine similar ranger companies, known as Robert's Rangers, to help fight against French and Native American forces during the French and Indian War. These days, the word ranger has become synonymous with elite military units, particularly those specializing in guerrilla tactics. The United States military isn't the only military force to have an elite force called rangers, but the origin of the phrase as an elite guerrilla-style military unit seems to rest in the American colonies. Of course, given the nature of the conflicts they engaged in, there's a great deal of contention surrounding the name, and some descendants of Native Americans remain understandably uncomfortable with the military title ranger. But while this sort of ranger certainly informed Tolkien's rangers of Athelion, it seems that the D&D rangers owe their inspiration almost entirely to Aragorn and his rangers of the north, who themselves were inspired by the protectors of the king's land, who gradually grew into modern park rangers. No wonder D&D's rangers have such a confusing mix of abilities. This has been GM Word of the Week. It's written and researched by the Angry GM and produced by me, Fiddleback. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash gmwordoftheweek. You can find more at gmwordoftheweek.com and theangrygm.com. <laughs>